Standing mic. Could I have a standing mic, please? Yeah. Yeah, could you? Okay. Okay, sure. <laughs> Thank you. <coughs> Want to say good evening? Good evening. Good evening. Uh, even afternoon, same thing. <laughs> um, I'd like you all to bear with me. Uh, my shoes kind of just kind of ripped. Don't know how that happened. So I'm um, just wearing socks. Is that right? All right, so don't mind the odor. All right, just kidding. <clears throat> it's really a blessing and a delight <clears throat> to share uh, about my music. Uh, testimony. And as I shared early uh, on in the uh, yesterday, I believe that uh, the greatest weapon that <clears throat> the devil is using upon young people is the uh, issue of uh, music. Um, I hope that by God's grace, my testimony will be a blessing to some soul here. And um, I pray that God would touch your hearts. <clears throat> I was born in Jamaica in 1973, and <clears throat> I came to the U.S. in 1978, thanks, I just got the mic, <laughs> with my parents, and um, 1978 was the year that uh, rap music had just uh, begun to make a little spark. <clears throat> there were only three rap groups uh, in existence at this time. Most of them, you guys here probably wouldn't know, except maybe Dwayne <laughs> and myself. These three rap groups were uh, Sugar Hill Gang, uh, Zulu Nation, and Africa Bambada. So those were the three main rap groups around at this time. And um, uh, the rap music started to make an impact from the Bronx. A little history on how it came to the Bronx. <clears throat> in the 1960s in the um, island of Jamaica, they had a certain style of music called DJing. And what would happen is, you'd, you know, at a party, two um, MCs would go on the dance floor and they would stop the party. And in the midst of the party, uh, these two artists would start uh, degrading one another to music. And the issue of it was to make it rhyme as they were degra degrading each other. And they'd go back and forth and back and forth. And of course, it couldn't be understood to any American because it was done in a Jamaican dialect called Patois. About the 1970s, when Jamaicans started coming to New York, a lot of them uh, uh, relocated in the Bronx. So a lot of the black Americans that would attend these same parties where, where the Jamaicans were, they heard this style of DJing. They saw them on the microphone, rhyming and saying things 
Of course, they couldn't understand it, but uh, they adapted that style and they called it in the English tongue, hip hop. And that's how rap music was born. Now, <clears throat> in 1978, I was five years old and I was clueless on the whole issue of music. Um, and at the same time, my brother and I, we weren't into church. Um, we weren't into rock, we weren't into rap. We didn't know anything. About 1981, um, MTV for, uh, started for the very first time. Thank you, sister. And I, I'll still remember the very first video that came out was Video Kill the Radio Star. You guys don't know it, but it goes, Video Kill the Radio Star. And I remember, you know, being young, like watching MTV for the first time. I was like, wow, music television. And what it meant really was, um, 1970s was a time of listening to radios. 80s was now um, music on video. So uh, video has now killed the radio star of the past. So I was very taken up with MTV. And uh, the very first kind of music that really attracted me was rock and pop music. I was into it, my brother was into it. <clears throat> so we started engaging ourselves, listening to MTV. A year later, about 1982, um, a new rap group came up on the scene named Run DMC. Uh, today, there's a TV show called Run's House. How many are familiar with Run's House? Okay. Well, he was around from like the 1980s. So I got caught up in Run DMC. I got caught up in the whole Michael Jackson era, you know, a year later. I got the Jerry Curl, everything, you know, doing the dance. Like, hey, caught up with Michael. And like I said, I, I never grew up Christian. Um, I would go and dance at my aunt's house and dance wherever I could. My parents realized, oh, he has great talent. And um, one night I was at my aunt's house and I was dancing and she came up to me and she posted a $1 bill on my forehead. So I'm like, wow, you know, and everybody was, all my aunts and uncles were shouting, hey, Sean, we didn't know you could dance so well, you know? So I took it as a sign that, hey, maybe one day I'll be a great musician in, in, in some sense. I never really had any, um, spiritual figures in my family. I had two aunts, one was a Baptist, one was a Catholic, but they never had any major influence on my brother and I. So we pretty much did everything that young kids would do. <clears throat> Music became my addiction between the years of 81 and 84. Um, I was about eight, and from eight to about 11, 11 years old. So I was really caught up in this whole music. My life was music. 1986, I was 13 and in the ninth grade, living in New York. And of course, you know, New York was the home of hip hop, the home of rap. And um, New York was the place to be. You know, if you wanted to be cool, you wanted to be up with dancing, you, if you said you were from New York, you know, that, you know, you were made. And I remember two years um, after 86, my dad decided to uh, move us to Virginia. And I remember it was the saddest day of my life. I was like, you know, how can we, you know, Dad, please don't take me from New York. You know, I love the city life, and it's the home of dancing. All my friends are there. I don't want to go to Virginia. And my dad, you know, he was into real estate. So he said, you know, you know what, we have to go. I found some property. And we moved to Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I remember I was so upset, so angry for leaving New York. When I came to Virginia, the school that I went to was um, Chancellor High School in Fredericksburg. My brother and I attended uh, this school. And I remember being so upset 
for the fact that I left New York that I wouldn't speak to anyone in Virginia. I didn't speak to anyone in school. I had this air about me that, you know what, we're from New York. <laughs> we're the best dancers. You know, we got Peter Gregory breakdancing in New York, right? We got Dwayne Lemon, backup dancer for Heavy D. You know, New York. Love New York. Proud. But I was upset now being in Virginia. And I remember any time friends would come up to us to try and make friends with me, I, was, so I had that pride about me. One day we met a young individual by the name of Sean Pollard, same name as me. And I remember um, some people in the high school came up to me, they said, Sean, we met another friend, he has your name, and he's also from New York. So I was like, no, look, he's not from New York, he probably talks it, but you know, only my brother and I. <laughs> so finally I met him. And I looked him up and down, you know, looked at the shoes he was wearing. And I was able to, you know, decipher where you're from just by the way your hair was cut. You know, the flat top haircut was around at, at this time. <laughs> so I'm scoping him up and down like, okay, okay. I said, so you're from New York, huh? He's like, yeah. I said, well, name some places. And he named like, you know, certain Flatbush. And, and I was like, oh, and Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, okay. I went back to my brother. I was like, oh, you know what? I think we found another friend that's, uh, from New York, he's from Brooklyn. So I introduced my brother Ivor to Sean Pollard, and we all met, and instantly we just clicked. Um, I was in 11th grade at the time. My brother was in 12th, Sean was in 11th, and we, we started going around to different parties in Virginia. Go to basketball games, we weren't into basketball. We just wanted to go to the basketball games because after the games is the after party. And at the after party, we get to dance and outdance people and just make our pride just grow even more. So we loved going around Fredericksburg, going to DC, going to all the clubs, just dancing. We found out Sean could dance. We found out he also had a talent to rap. So one day we were at a club and we were just all three of us dancing and a person made a certain comment. They said, you know, you guys dance ferocious like, like, like monsters. And we were like, wow, I like that name. Monsters. And my brother actually came with the title. He said, hey, why don't we call ourselves the Boogie Monsters? So I said, yeah, I like that name. So the, the name started to stick. So everyone through Virginia and everyone in DC started knowing us as the Boogie Monsters. We'd enter parties and they'd say, oh, they're good them kids, man, the Boogie Monsters. We got t-shirts with a, with a creature on the front, you know, to, uh, it was kind of like more of our logo. So we, we became pretty popular. Dancing was our lives. We found out later that Sean Pollard also knew how to rap. So we started thinking about, hey, why don't we just make a music group? I thought, well, listen, when you're in high school, things come and go. You're in a fad, you know, it's not gonna really go anywhere. So I figured, look, okay, we can just have the name just for the time that we're in school. Years later, my brother went off to Virginia State University. And Sean Pollard, he also went to Virginia State. I went to Virginia Union. So I was about maybe about 30 minutes away from their college. And every weekend, uh, they would have parties at my brother's college. And he would call me up and say, yeah, Sean, you know, um, they're having a party. They call it Gym Jam. They're having a Gym Jam at Virginia State. Why don't you come up so we can go compete, battle people, take them out, demolish them, rip them up. So on the weekends, I would always travel, get my car, leave Richmond, go all the way to Petersburg, and I'd go to the clubs and we'd dance, and every time we got together, all three of us, we'd make a name for ourselves.
By this time, we had met uh, another member named Mondo McCann. Now, Mondo was also known to be a, a rap artist. He didn't really dance, so uh, instantly we, we took him in. He was from the Bronx. So the Boogie Monsters now became a four-man group. Two dancers, uh, two rhymers. My brother and I were dancing, Mondo and Sean were rhyming. On one occasion, we had a very uh, big talent show coming up. 41 contestants, and, and, and the one who would win would end up having, getting a record deal. So once again, they called me, Sean, you gotta come down. I was like, what now? There's a, a contest, a talent show at Virginia State, 41 acts. I was like, 41 acts? I was like, no, that, that's too many to compete with. We're not gonna win. I said, no, come on, Sean, we can do it. So my brother kept calling me, Mondo kept calling me, Sean kept calling me, you need to calm down. So finally, I decided to go and we entered uh, the contest and we were um, the first ones to go up to perform. So I was thinking, well, if we were the first group to go up to perform, by the time you get to the last group, they would have long forgotten about us. So we went first and we had to sit through a long talent show. <clears throat> and when it got towards the end, the judges came up to you know, uh, announce the winner. So he was like third place, he named some group, you know. Second place, named another group. First place. The Boogie Monsters. The Boogie Monsters. Oh, we were just screaming, jumping up and down, just hey, just loving it. And we said, okay, we're gonna get a record deal. Who's gonna approach us? Because that was the prize. Person that wins gets a gets a record deal. Nobody approached us. Nobody called, no nothing. And I was like, so what's gonna happen? Sharon was like, I don't know. Al, what's gonna, I don't know. No phone call. So that came and went. We were so depressed. Um, I think a semester later, <clears throat> Mondo McCann um, decided to visit New York. He said, you know what, I'm gonna drop out of school, I'm gonna go to New York, and I'm gonna try and find a record deal. Now, one of the things you have to understand about getting a record deal in New York, as I said before, everyone and, and their grandmother knows how to rap in New York. <laughs> the dogs and the cats know how to rap. The birds know how to rap. The, the, the roaches know how to rap. <laughs> so it's so much competition in New York. And I was telling my brother, I said, oh, look, look, let's just stay in school. It doesn't make sense, we leave, you know. And, you know, uh, Vex and Mondo, they were, you know, they had high hopes. No, man, we can do this. We can get a record deal. So Mondo left school, dropped out of school. He was a sophomore. Went all the way to Manhattan. And he found a, young, uh, a gentleman named Derek, um, forgot his last name, but he was with a management company called Rush Management. And they used to manage a, a rap group called Eric B and Rakim from back in the days. So he listened to Mondo's music, because at this time we had a, a, a recording, two songs. And he listened to the music, and he said, you know what, yeah, I kind of like this. And the manager said, so where are the other artists? And he said, well, you know, um, they're all in school right now, they're in Virginia. And he said, well, why don't you bring them up? So I get a phone call from Mondo, he said, Sean, you and your brother gotta leave school, come to New York, because they want to hear you, they want to hear your music. 
And I remember saying, look, Mondo, listen, my parents will never let me leave school. I have Jamaican parents. And they'll shoot you in both legs. You know, education first. You're not leaving school, you know, Sean. And I said, Mondo, it's not going to work. He said, no, Sean, talk to your dad, man. So I came up with my dad, my brother and I. I said, Dad, um, <clears throat> Mondo went to New York and we want to get a record deal. Like, what? What, son? Uh, Mondo went to New York, and uh, he found a manager, and they want us to come to New York. My dad was like, no, no, we're not leaving. We're not leaving school. Mad. Mondo called Sean Pollard. Hey, um, Derek wants to see us. It was easy for him. So they set out on their way to New York, happy. Meanwhile, my brother and I, Ivor, we're home crying. <laughs> Mad. No record deal. Sean and Mondo in the car just driving like, ah. They got to New York, and they met Derek, and they're talking, and you know, he said, all right, you know, let me listen to your tracks. They had about three tracks done, four. He said, so what are you, rappers, dancers, why boogie monsters? He said, well, there's two dancers, two rappers. And he said, so where are the other two? And he said, well, you know what? Their parents will kill them. They're Jamaican, and they'll shoot them in the, in the kneecaps. They can't leave. <laughs> Derek now goes to a man named Ruben Rodriguez. He was the president of Pendulum Records. So we got a phone call from Ruben. And he got on the phone. He said, yeah, this is Ruben Rodriguez. Um, I want to know if there's Ivor or Sean Myers there. And I was like, yes. He's like, yeah, well, uh, you, we talked for a while. He told me. Um, I told him I was part of the group, and he said, so why don't you guys come up so we can see what you're about? Maybe we could you know, do some uh, music dealer. And I said, okay, well, why don't you talk to my dad? <laughs> so I passed the phone to my dad and didn't tell him who it was. And they're there talking on the phone, and I just heard my dad go, <laughs> oh, well, thank you, but no thanks. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's okay. All right. And he's about to hang up, and he gave him back the phone. And I remember uh, Ruben said, Sean, let me talk back to your dad. You know, I mean, money is involved in this. We, we, can, we can, you know, make it big here. So I gave him back the phone. And uh, Ruben said to my dad, you Mr. Myers, we can make a lot of money here. And my dad was like, <laughs> Money. Hold on a second. And he went. My, my dad and mom were talking in the kitchen. He came back, all right, they can go. We were just elated, jumping up and down like, oh, left school. We took a bus all the way into Manhattan, met up with Mondo and Sean Pollard. And we got there, and we, we went up to Avenue of America, 6th Avenue in New York. And when we, we met Ruben, it was just like something out of a movie. You know, he had the cigar and the three-piece suit, you know, and. Um, we went to his office. He had Evander Holyfield, all these famous actors and actresses all lined up and down his wall. And he said to us, OK, well, let me see what you got. So we took our demo cassette, and then we performed right in front of him. We started rhyming and dancing and flipping over tables and jumping. And after five minutes, he said, OK. He said, Derek, come here. And he took Derek, the manager, into another room. And we're out in the hallway just waiting, like, did he like us? You know. I mean, the waiting just took a long time. It seemed like forever, but it was only five minutes. And Derek came back out, and he said, 
Ruben wants to sign you to a $250,000 contract. And we started screaming, just screaming. And I, you know, when the reality of it hit me, I was like, you know, you always meet someone else who's involved in, in music or someone else who's involved who gets a record deal, but it's never you. But when that news hit me, I said, wow, I'm gonna be on TV. I'm gonna be on 98.7 Kiss in New York. MTV, videos, autograph. And the money came, and I, and I remember the manager gave us 16,000 a piece right there. He says, okay, four of you guys, 16,000 each, don't blow the money. Don't blow the money, get your apartment, buy clothes for the video, um, save money to work on your album. So we had to do all that. We blew the money. <laughs> we had to ask for more. <laughs> so life was good, supposedly, in a worldly sense. The money came, the girls came, the dreadlocks grew, the earrings came, the nose ring came, the grills came, the gold on the teeth. You know, on the finger, the tattoos, you know, we were just living the life. You know, we're the boogie monsters now. We went on MTV, we have three videos still playing on YouTube, but we're, uh, two of us are not there anymore. Well, three actually. Um, we were in Rolling Stones magazines, we performed with Wu Chang Clan, Biggie Smalls, um, Wu, uh, um, most of these artists you probably would not know from the 90s. Um, Naughty by Nature. Um, it's a whole lot of different artists. It's, it's just been so long. Uh, we even met the actor from the TV show Married with Children, Bud Bundy. And he came to our shows and he said, you know what, you guys are my favorite rap group. And he wanted us to come and make a movie with him and, and be in one of the shows. So we really met a lot of people. And in a worldly sense, uh, life was good. All this changed when we met a fan uh, named Dwight Robinson. And Dwight was a backslidden Adventist. And I remember the day he found out that we were living in Queens on 226th Street, and he was living on 223rd. And he was a, a great fan of our music. And I remember the day he knocked on our door. I don't know how he found out, but he knocked on our door, and when we opened the door, he had on a Bob Marley t-shirt and long dreadlocks, and that's all we needed to see. We were like, come on in. <laughs> <clears throat> Grab a smoke, and we all started smoking. And Dwight would come to every show that we would do. Every performance we would have, Dwight would come. Be in the club, throwing his hands up, yeah, yeah. Dwight went to jail for selling marijuana. We bailed him out. So. You know, to the natural eye and to the natural mind, we didn't think there was anything spiritual in him. He's just one of us. And after we bail him out of jail, um, he stopped selling drugs, but he continued smoking marijuana. All of us in the group would smoke. So every time Dwight came over, he knew he would find us up in the living room, 10 of us all in one room. Everyone has dreadlocks. Half the people I don't even know, because when you're famous, people just flock to you. So I'm surrounded by friends I don't even know, but we're all smoking and rhyming and playing our albums and listening to the music. And Dwight would come in the midst of it, grab a seat, light up his smoke, and just listen with us. And mysteriously, after each session of listening to music and smoking and rhyming and practicing for the next concert, uh, Dwight 
would take out his Bible. And, and while he was under the influence of marijuana, while his eyes were still bloodshot red from smoke, he would begin to teach us about Daniel, <laughs> Revelation, the Sabbath, Sanctuary Message, A.T. Jones, Ellen White, Great Controversy, everything. And I remember looking at him like, how do you know all this stuff? <laughs> and he was only 19 years old. Now, every group usually has a gimmick that makes them sell. You know, with some rap artists, they, they, they use the gangster mentality. We didn't really have a gimmick yet, but when we heard this message that Dwight shared with us, we said, you know what? Why don't we take this information on the Bible and the prophecy, and why don't we become a Christian rap group? And Dwight will continue sharing us, you know, more things, Three Angels' message, and we finally got to the point where we're like, you know what? We're going to rap about the Three Angels' message. <laughs> no one else is doing it. Buster Rhymes isn't doing it. Biggie Smalls isn't doing it. Everyone is rapping about girls, sex, and drugs. We will be the, f and by the way, Rolling Stones called us the first Christian rap group. And shortly after, you know, we started rhyming about things like the New World Order and stuff like that. Shortly after, artists started copying Biggie uh, Busta Rhymes, another group called Bone Thugs in Harmony. Everyone all of a sudden got conscious because we were now rapping about these things that Dwight was sharing with us. Our album was not complete yet when we met Dwight. Half of our songs were of the world, but the other half was Adventist message. And the more Dwight would tell us, the more we would write. And like, Dwight, say more again. And Dwight, here, give, here's some more smoke. Go on, so <laughs> tell someone, okay. okay. And then what? And he would expound, and boom, and boom. And we end up making a song called Mark of the Beast. And whenever we would go and do shows, people in the audience, we'd stop the music, and we'd say, hey, what song you want to hear? Everyone would yell, hey, Mark of the Beast. Don't know what we're talking about. But yeah, Mark of the Beast. And that became one of our, our favorite songs. And that's when we met Dave Faustino. He flew from California. He's like, hey, you know, I'm from the TV show Married with Children. I want to know if you, know, you guys can come and do, do an episode with us. And we were like, yeah. Met actors and actresses. And you know, we were really uh, getting uh, deeply into this. After a while, the Holy Spirit um, started working on my mind. The Holy Spirit started showing me something very um, deep, because I realized Whenever we would go out and do these shows, we got to the point where we were really honest in our music. We say we started doing the Christian rap music. We would go out on stage, and before a, sh a show, we would pray the Our Father prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. We'd pray, and after we're done, everyone's like, whoa, clapping, because it was something new. Wow, these guys pray before they rhyme. And right after the prayer, we light up the smoke. And everyone else lights up their smoke. And we're like, oh, throw your hands in the end, you know, rhyming and all night. And after a while, the Holy Spirit just started to, you know, prick my conscience, like, you know, we're really trying to reach the people. And we can't seem to understand why they're not reacting. To make things worse, we do a show, and right when we were done, thinking that the whole audience was, you know, uh, filled up with Christian lyrics. Christian rap, on my way off the stage, I would see Biggie Smalls take over. He'd have a whiskey bottle this big. 
and smoke in this hand. And he'd say, throw your guns in the air. And those same individuals who were yelling, oh, yeah, the mark of the beast, yo, Jesus, yeah, boogie monsters, yeah, the same audience would yell, throw your guns in the air. And I remember walking off the stage, looking at him like, man, didn't they just hear our message? We're doing this for the Lord. We're a Christian rap group. How come they're not responding? And I remember for the whole time that I've been in the Christian rap, the whole time I've been in the industry, I only met one convert. She was a lady that interviewed us for um, BET magazine. And, and, and she actually became Adventist. And when we came out of the church, I saw her like, I think, two years later. But only one convert. And I asked myself, all those people that we were rhyming to in the audience, where are they now? Are they, are they in the church? I was speaking to a youth group at uh, Piedmont camp, and I, I asked them, I said, try and name at least seven people that you know that have left the music industry and they're now in the Adventist church. They were like, uh, Boogie Monsters, Little Richie, Boogie Monsters, Little Richie, Prince. Yeah, Prince and Boogie Monsters and Little Richie. And then Prince and then the Boogie Monsters and then Little Richie. And I said to the young people, I said, that is how captivating this music industry is. That only three people that I know about have left that industry and is now in the church. And that's why young people, I say, the music is the greatest weapon the devil is using on young people. And the Lord just started to work with us and work with us and work with us and show us more light and more light. And then we got to the point where we said to Dwight, well, Dwight, how come you're not following this? And Dwight was, he admitted, look, I'm a backslidden Adventist. But the seed that he planted in us was so strong that we're like, well, we're going to still go forward with this came to the point where the president of our record label noticed that we were getting a bit too preachy in our music. And I remember he pulled us aside. He said, listen, I know you guys have this newfound religion, seven day, or okay, whatever. Um, but listen, see our record sales? They were taken off in the beginning. But you know, with this, I mean, look, the God stuff is good. I understand. But the God stuff, I mean, look at, look at our record sales. You know, we have our meetings. And I remember he said to us, listen, just kind of cut back on God. You know, just rhyme more about, you know, the sinful stuff, the girls and, and, and the drugs and all those things. And, you know, slowly I began to realize what trap I was in. I said, man, the conviction is on our hearts to share the message and, and, and share it in its purity now. Because we got to the point where we we're really having Bible studies after each concert. We do a show and afterwards, hey, we present the Bible. So our conviction was growing and growing and growing, but yet we're stuck in this eight-year contract. What are we going to do? And I remember my brother, you know, he refused to cut back on the lyrics. He just kept speaking more about God, kept rhyming more about God. And it came to the point where we clashed with the president of our label. We clashed over the music. We clashed over the Sabbath because we got to the point where we didn't want to perform on Friday nights anymore. 
And the president said, no, that is the night that we make the most what? Money. And it got to the point where he threatened to sue us because, and he would have won. It would have been a breach of contract because we agreed to go along. When we signed up, we weren't Adventists. We became Adventists in the middle of the music career. So we were caught in a, in a, in a, in a hard spot. And I remember one day I said to Mondo, I said, you know, we need to pray. Because, you know, this conviction is growing and, you know, every time, you know, I go into a club on a Friday night, I, I feel like I just shouldn't be here. It got to the point where I did a show on a Friday night and I remember I got something like $1,000 split between the four of us. I got 1000 they got 1000 And I remember when I had the money, it was a Friday night and we were Midwest somewhere, far away from home. And I looked at Vex, the other rapper, and I said, you know what, I don't want this. And I gave away $1,000. Didn't have any more money on me. And I said, man, Sean, either you are crazy <laughs> or your mind is really being used by the Lord. The conviction was that strong that our tour money, I gave it up. Friday nights, I wouldn't take it. Many times, Saturday nights, there'd be no shows. So I was without money. All this to show my conviction that was just growing and growing for the Lord. So we got to the point where we all came together and we all decided to pray. Lord, we didn't know about the Sabbath. We didn't know about all these things, but Lord, we need to be delivered. We are, we are stuck to an eight-year contract. Lord, help us. And I remember that we prayed. I believe it was in the beginning of the summer. And two months after praying, Pendulum Records went bankrupt. This company has been around for 30-something years. 30-something years. And the very year that we prayed was the very year that the label went bankrupt. And we took it as a sign that that was God reaching out to us. And I realized that, you know, God can deliver you young people from anything, any bondage of the enemy. And we left. We started to come into the church more, started attending more Bible studies. We started reaching out to Dwight to try and get him into the church. All four of us in the group eventually got baptized into the Adventist church. But the sad thing is that two of the members decided to go back to the music in 1997. And from the time they made that decision, their spiritual lives had really uh, gone down. And my brother and I, we continue to pray for them that they will also seek the Lord. You know, the Lord showed me many reasons why um, I should have left the music. You know, sometimes you leave and you still have a conviction like, am I making the right decision? But after leaving, God started showing me things about the music and how, you know, it really is like a black hole and how the devil is using it to bring in young people in the last days, especially in the Adventist church. This Christian rock and this Christian rap. And the Lord showed me something very interesting in Exodus chapter 32. But you turn there um, quickly. Exodus chapter 32. And the Lord showed me something interesting about the last days in regards to this music. In Exodus 32 and verse 15, 
the story of the golden calf, and it says, And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for the mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but it is the noise of them that what? Sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto uh, the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. When I meditated on this, I saw that there were four sins that Israel adapted from Egypt. Four sins. Look at verse 18. The first was worldly singing. Look at the end of verse 18. But the noise of them that what? Sing do I hear. Second sin was idolatry. Look at verse 19. And it came to pass as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, that he saw the what? Calf. Verse 19 was worldly dancing. Look at the end of verse 19. He saw the calf and the what? Dancing. Now look at verse 25. The fourth sin was nakedness. And when Moses saw that the people were what? Naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. And I said to myself, wow. These four sins were prevalent in Israel. Worldly dancing, worldly singing, idolatry, and nakedness. These things took over Israel. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? When it comes to worldly singing today, how is the world copying Egypt? How's the world copying Egypt today? with the worldly singing. All you have to do is look on TV. American, don't forget the lyrics, right? All these TV shows dealing with singing, everyone think they could sing now. You notice that? Are they singing about God? Worldly singing. And I thought to myself, when it comes to worldly dancing, how is the world copying Egypt and Israel of old? Under the golden calf. How, how are they copying Egypt? And I said to myself, you look at the TV, you see Dancing with the Stars, so you think you can dance. <clears throat> and they have a new one, Mom, I want to be a hip-hop dancer. All these sensual styles of dance in our day just like with Israel and Egypt. 
Then I thought to myself, well, what about idolatry? When it comes to the golden calf, how do we see that today? How is the world copying Egypt? Idolatry. All the rappers talk about what in their videos? Money. Gold on the teeth, gold on the neck. Michael Jackson was spending $100,000 a day in his, in his hotel. $25,000 for his casket. And I was like, you know, we're living in an idolatrous age. When people sing and they win, win the awards, what do they get? A Grammy. And I say, you know what's interesting? In the Old Testament, they made a cow out of gold. In our day, we make a man out of gold and we call him Oscar. I want to thank God for all the songs I've sung about, you know, idolatry and fornication. Yeah. Other day I saw a rapper. I want to thank God for all that gangster rap, all that violence he's been promoting with his Grammy, idolatry. The last sin was nakedness. I said, when it comes to nakedness, how is the world copying Egypt? There was a time when people used to keep their clothes on, on MTV. The very first videos. Now, every video that comes out, rock, rap, you name it, flesh is showing. Every last video. Now, Moses came down off the mountain in the midst of these four sins. When these four sins were alive and current and acting, Moses came down off the mount. In a way, Moses kind of symbolizes who? Christ. And you remember Moses delayed his coming? He delayed his coming. And when he delayed his coming, Israel said, okay, well, how come Moses is not here yet? From off the mount. And when Moses didn't come, what did they do? They gave way to all those sins. In AD 31, Jesus went up into the heavenly mount. Amen? Christ did the same thing. And in 1844, it is said that he was supposed to what? Come back to earth. Did he come? No. So Jesus, just like Moses, delayed his what? His coming. When he delayed his coming, guess what the Christians and the Protestants on earth who were waiting, the Presbyterian and the Methodists, guess what they did? Christ isn't coming. Well, okay. And guess what they did? Same thing Israel did when Christ didn't come back. And since 1844 till now, those four sins have been running rampant in the earth. Worldly singing, worldly dancing, nakedness, idolatry. And the Lord said to me, Sean, the same way Moses came down off the mount in that time, I am coming in this time. Because we're there again. All through the earth we can see it. So the Lord says, Sean, these four sins are now very prevalent. And I'm coming. That's why, Sean, I had to call you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Amen? Because God is coming. So how do we know? What's another sign? What's another sign? 
we can see it in the world. The worldly singing, the worldly dancing, the idolatry, the nakedness. It's rampant now, all through the earth. That's how we know it's time for him to come. I found something very interesting when I meditated on the Levites. You know, the Levites were the only tribe that took no part in the worship of the golden calf. All of the 11 tribes were like, boom, dancing, bowing down. Levi was the only one that stood. I'm going to wait for Moses. I'm going to wait till he comes on off the mount. Levi was the only one. And you know, um, I saw some more interesting characteristics with Levi. Look at Numbers chapter 1 and verse 50, very quickly. Numbers chapter 1 and verse 50. Numbers 1 and verse 50. Numbers 1 and verse 50, and it says, But thou shalt appoint the what? Levites over the tabernacles of the testimony and over all the vessels thereof and over all the things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof. They shall minister unto it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle setteth forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. But the stranger that comes near shall be what? Put to death. If any other tribe touched the sanctuary, they were what? Destroyed. Only Levi could touch it. Only Levi could handle the sanctuary. Only Levi could teach the sanctuary. I saw another interesting characteristic of Levi. <clears throat> Look at First Chronicles, chapter 15 and verse 16. First Chronicles, chapter 15 and verse 16. First Chronicles, chapter 15 and verse 16. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psaltery, harps, cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. I said, wow. Look at Second Chronicles, chapter 29, and verse 25. Second Chronicles, chapter 29, and verse 25. Second Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 25. And he set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, with harps, according to the commandment of David. I said to myself, Levi was appointed to teach and represent true Christian music. Amen? And I said, wow, those three characteristics. Only ones that stood waiting for Moses. 
only ones given the sanctuary message, only ones appointed to teach about true music. When I looked at the Adventist church, eighteen forty four. All Protestant churches are gathered around, waiting for Christ to come. When Christ didn't come, they all went away, except the pioneers of which church? Seventh day Adventists. Just like how Levi said, I'm going to stay here and wait for Moses, Adventists, the early pioneers in 1844, after the great disappointment, they said, I'm going to stay here and wait for Christ when all other religions are moving away. Second characteristic, Ellen White said, the sanctuary message is the message that has been given only to who? Seventh-day Adventists. Just like how Levi, only tribe that could touch and handle the sanctuary. No other church has that message except our church. We share other views, like the Trinity and baptism, but the sanctuary message is the only message given to us. And the last characteristic, Ellen White gave us light on true Christian music. Amen? true Christian music. From the book Education and for the book um, Voice, Speech, and Song, it is counsels to us to know about music, which is my main point. But the same three characteristics given to Levi was given to us. The gift of sanctuary and the gift of music. Levi never mingled with the false worship. Every other tribe did. And I believe those other tribes today represent the other churches, Sunday churches. Because they're our brothers too. Levi had to go out, and Moses says, go, separate them, but bring in all the repentant. In Patriots and Prophets, Ellen White says that when Moses went out, he brought back all of the, of the tribes that were repentant. For us, as Adventists, we're to go out and bring out all those churches that are repentant. Amen? All those churches that ran away, we need to go get them. Pidgeots and prophets, all the tribes that went away, Levi went to get them and bring them back into one fold. But Levi received all the truth. The truth on the sanctuary, the truth on music. So what I'm saying is today, we are spiritual Levi. Spiritual Levi, the people who should know the truth about music. So when we say young people, well, I want to do Christian rock. I want to do Christian rap. You know what that is? That's like Levi joining with the other tribes in the false worship. God is trying to say, look, since 1844, I set you aside to be particular. Amen? You are the ones that stood by me in the beginning, 1844. You are the ones that gave the sanctuary message. You are the ones I'm educating about the music. The Levites' job was to teach and present the music every Sabbath. Their job was to sit there, what kind of music should we bring before the church? Okay, they would pray to God, and inspiration would come from God. They would present the music. 
That's why they said, you know, I'm not going to take part in this idol calf worship. Levi fits us today. Amen? You are spiritual Levi. So young people, let's not mingle with the rap and the rock and the contemporary because Levi never did it. It's a heavy responsibility that rests upon us. Amen? Amen. We are the Levi. Ellen White even says, you are Levi. The Bible calls us um, um, a priesthood. So this is why I pray, and this is why I kind of get the way I do when um, young kids come to me. You know, after every time I share a message on music, there's always a parent that comes to me and they say, you know, um, Sean, I'm upset with you. Why? Because my son just came into the church and he, he wants to serve the Lord and he has an electric guitar and he wants to do Christian rock. But because of your message, he's now discouraged and he wants to leave and da 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 And I'm like, you know what? You know, everyone has something that they have to give up sooner or later. I had to give up $250,000. Concerts, videos, music, money, fame. What is it just to give up a little rock music, young people? Amen? Amen. What is it to give up a little rap compared to what I had to give up? Until probation closes, Every last one of us will always have to give something up. Ellen White says things we're going to be learning and relearning in the last days, things that we thought were right but were not, this is going to be a constant issue with us until probation closes. So we have to think with the mind that says, all right, sacrifice, sacrifice. What will I give up for the Lord? It's not all about get, 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 get. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. It doesn't mean boredom. God doesn't say, give up the music and just listen to classical, and that's it. No, God gives us things to replace it with. Here, you want to do the music? Do it like this. But too many times I realize young kids, they want to give the Cain offering. You know, the Cain offering is, Lord, I'm doing this for you. Take this. I'm going to do the music the way I want. Rock. Accept it, Lord. That's the Cain offering. Abel's offering is, Lord, what would you have me do? How do you want me to do it? How do you want me to sing? Amen? How do you want me to play the music? That's the Abel offering. What, it, what happened to Cain when he was confronted? How did he respond? Mad. Mad. <laughs> How do you respond? When you hear the prophet tell you, I saw music, dancing, and drums in the last days, separate from it. And what happens? Kids get upset, parents get upset. Son, why don't, why don't you just shut up and you know, let God accept my offering? I want to rock you know, Jesus. Why don't you accept that? This is my offering, Lord. I'm singing for you. That was Cain's mentality. Lord, I'm doing this for you. Here are the grapes. The Lord said, uh, I asked for a lamb. That's why it says obedience is better than sacrifice. Now I understood it. See, we, we, music is a sacrifice. It's a gift. You present it to the Lord. Lord, I'm singing for you. This is my offering. This is my sacrifice. God goes, yeah, I, I, I understand that, but guess what? 
obedience is better than sacrifice. What did I tell my prophet? Oh, I don't know, Lord. Well, read it. Voice, speech, and song. Read it. Education. How is the music supposed to be? Be obedient to what the prophet says. Let's give Abel's offering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for your truth and for your light, for the Holy Spirit that tells us all things. Because you love us, you tell us these things. Lord, you're not, you're not here to make our lives miserable. But if we would just take the time to search, to find out the true ways in which we can do things in regards to this music issue. Lord, we are spiritual Levi. And as Peter Gregory shared, Lord, you're soon to come. The music is playing now. The dancing is going on. The idolatry is everywhere. The worldly singing is everywhere. These four things, Lord, four symbolizes universal in the Bible, which means these four sins are now universal. You're coming soon. Help Levi to get in order. Help Levi to carry out that blessing on music. For you've appointed unto Levi the things of music to teach those that are in darkness. Help Levi to go out and regather the 11 tribes, regather the Protestant Sunday world, bring them into the truth, bring them back to the same father that they waited for in 1844. All tribes have the same father. But you've told Levi to go out and get the rest, to get the remaining. Help us, Lord, to do thy will and to do it your way. For obedience is better than sacrifice. In Jesus' name, thank you for your great love, we pray. Amen.
that there's no trash around you. If you brought a water bottle, if you had some paper, uh, whatever you have with you, grab it all up and make sure you take it with you. You don't want to leave the, um, the chapel trashy. So make sure you take your things with you, whatever you brought in. Make sure you're inviting your friends. Let them know what they're missing out so that it's not too late for people to come in. So uh, encourage your friends to come. We have um, announcements here about Walmart. If you're wanting to go to Walmart, it's five minutes away. You make a left here on 436 and a right on 434. But that is not a super Walmart, just to let you know. Super Walmart is, uh, is the other way. And there is a helpful store. Uh, just walking distance. You make a left here, and it's going to be the next light to the right. Lost and found. Lost and found. If you find something that is not yours, we don't use the losers keepers. What is it? Keepers, losers. How does it go? Finders keepers. That's how it goes. We don't. We don't. We don't go by that rule around here. So you found something that's not yours. You can either turn it up to me or to the registration table. And by the way, talking about loss, I lost my key yesterday. It looks just like this. Mm. So if you see it, please give it back to me. I would really appreciate it. And if you see me around just walking like this, you know I'm looking <laughs> for my key. So if I see you doing the same thing, I'm going to say, Grace, where are my friends? They're, they're my friends. <laughs> my key too. So if you find it, please do uh, give it to me. Anything you find that is not yours, turn it to the registration table. We want to encourage you to visit the exhibit. The exhibits, the ministry exhibits, they are open from 5 to 6.45, and also again from 8.30 to 10 p.m. And if you have not gotten your t-shirts, they are still some available, so don't forget to stop by the registration table. They're $10 a piece. You don't want to miss out. Once they're gone, they are gone, so make sure you get your um, t-shirts. It is lunchtime, and it will be at the same location you have breakfast. If you were not here at breakfast, just follow the crowd. They're going that way. All right? Enjoy your lunch. Amen. <coughs> I don't know what I'm going to do about my shoes. Huh? What it ripped, man. I gotta go to the store. Hi, Tricia. Yeah. Are you? Easy now. You're right. With appearance, let me tell you. Tip my dad, especially, man. Just boy, you sound like you just come, man. No, I've been here for two years. Yeah. I don't really speak the French one if I say Jamaican. You know, when I say Jamaican, I speak the French one. If I don't say Jamaican, I speak no. Yeah. Isaacs. Amen. Let me tell you, it just, you know, you can relate, you know. That's a good testimony. Yeah. I was, um, I actually did reggae music in the group. I did reggae. Stone Love, um, Ninja Man style, super. When you said that, you said, oh, he's my age. Oh, really? You can relate to it. I I was in I was infesting with reggae. That was my love. More than anything else, I did reggae in the music. And you know what's funny? The temptation is so great that even now, if I hear let me tell you, if I hear I freeze like this. Like God, just help me, because you know, sometimes I wonder how how the devil comes up with certain. And the thing about it, it's beautiful. It's really how does he come up with certain sounds that can just grip, grip you, man. You know what I'm saying? 
it, it's something else. Hey, so, so. Hey, thanks, sorry. man. That was great. Um, thank you. Uh, oh, sorry. Thank awesome. you. Yeah, awesome. man. Okay. Worked out. Yeah, it did. Oh, I got. Jeez. I cannot believe my shoes. You know, oh, I, yeah. you know something. I don't know where to put this on. My shoes mash up on the way up here. Man. <laughs> I have to take the shoes off. That's it's like not, a, I said reverence, you know, so reverence. Yeah, I, yeah, I know, shoes. I know. I think. Wow. You know how some places they take off their shoes anyway. Mercy. 